Well, we're, we're continuing in the book of Colossians, and we are reaching the end of the book of Colossians. We have roughly this week and next week, and we will be finished with our study in the book of Colossians. It's been a great book. It's been a book where we have seen the sufficiency of Jesus Christ, emphasize that Christ is sufficient for you. That's Paul's central theme of the book of Colossians. He's sufficient. He's supreme. You don't need worldly philosophy. You don't need mystical experiences. You have Christ. You have His Word. You have all you need for life and guidance. You have Jesus Christ. You've been born again. And he says in the beginning of chapter 3, and it begins the practical section of Colossians, that if you have been raised up with Christ, in other words, if you are a believer, if you're a Christian, if you've been born again, all synonyms, he said, you will have new affections, a new mindset. And this new mindset, these new affections, the things you love, will affect how you live. And he goes on to describe the different ways that that new life affects your behavior. He talks about body life in chapter 3 and how we are, we are to love one another, how to have, be patient with one another, bearing with one another in the fellowship. And he talks about uh, married life. And he talks about how wives submit to your husbands, respect your husbands, love your husbands. Husbands, love your wives sacrificially as Christ loved the church. We talked about, and Paul talks about uh, parents and parenting. And then he talks about our, our work and how we're to work for the Lord. He, he shows how Christian, uh, sorry, the fact that you're a Christian, that new life in Christ affects your behavior. It affects all your relationships. And what we're going to get to today is that not only does it affect your believing relationships, but it, it affects how you treat and how you deal with outsiders, people outside the church, unbelievers. And Paul ends this, this section on, on body life, or I've been labeling these the, the 101 series, you know, the basics of the Christian life. Well, today we're going to be dealing with evangelism 101. And when you talk about evangelism, you, for a lot of Christians, you kind of see their eyes glaze over, right? It's, uh, it's one of those things where you, know, you have many different fears. People have different fears in life. In fact, I, I found a website that is very interesting, and it has like the top 100 fears, and it has uh, all, the, all the official words for them. And I'd like to share the, the top 10 fears. There is arachnophobia, the fear of spiders. There's aphidophobia, which is the fear of snakes. Acrophobia, the fear of heights. There's agoraphobia, which is the fear of open spaces. There's sinaiophobia, which is the fear of dogs. There is astrophobia, which is the fear of thunderstorms. There's claustrophobia, which is the fear of small spaces. There's misophobia, which is the fear of germs. There's areophobia, which is the fear of flying. And there's trypophobia, which is the fear of holes. And there's one I'd like to add, I thought was interesting, there's phobophobia, which is the fear of fear. Right? But I would add another phobia that, 
that really influences a lot of Christians, and it's evangelophobia, right, if you will. It's the, it's the fear of evangelism. And the reason we fear evangelism is because I think the big part is we don't understand evangelism. We, we, we think of that word, and it's like, evangelism? What, what, what does that mean? Well, I remember sitting in chapel when I was in Bible college, and it, I was sitting in chapel, and we had these different preachers. It was, it was, a, it was kind of a, a, an evangelism week, and all these preachers kept coming up, and they were preaching different evangelistic messages, and they, they were trying to get us all pumped up and excited about evangelism. But, but I remember over and over, they would, they would speak about evangelism, and they would immediately go to sharing the gospel with strangers, going door to door. And for, for most of these preachers, that was evangelism, going to people that you didn't know, knocking on strangers' doors, and telling your faith. And I remember sitting there, and I remember thinking, well, I, I'm not an evangelist, but I can do evangelism, but th- this is hard. And I remember having, you know, as a young Christian, this was in my early 20s, I remember having that, that fear, like, well, I, I, don't, I don't really have that desire to go door to door, and, I, and I'm, I'm a little bit fearful of talking to so many strangers you know, what, what if I get re, what if I re- rejection? What if they slam the door? What if they, they, they curse at me? What are all these things? But what I realized as I, I grew in my faith and as I studied the Word of God is that that's only a small part of evangelism, right? Because what evangelism simply is, and the word evangel, it means to share the good news, right? It's good news that we have to tell people. And evangelism, as we're going to see this morning, we're going to see that evangelism is more than just strangers. It's more than knocking on doors. And Paul lays that out here in Colossians chapter 4. So my, my hope and my prayer this morning as we, we go through these basics of what evangelism is and what it's not, is that any fear or misgivings that you have will melt away with an increase in your knowledge, increase in the wisdom, and an understanding of your need for dependence upon the Holy Spirit. So let's go ahead and look at Colossians, and we'll see what Paul, the apostle, has to say to these believers, and in turn, us as well. It's chapter 4 of Colossians, we're going to start in verse 2. Devote yourselves to prayer, keeping alert in it with an attitude of thanksgiving. Praying at the same time for us as well that God will open up to us a door for the word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, that for which I have been imprisoned, that I may, excuse me, that I may make it clear in the way that I ought to speak. Verse 5, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of opportunity and let your speech always be with grace as though seasoned with salt so that you will know how to respond to each person. So there's going to be two two aspects or two points this morning that Paul makes when it regards to just evangelizing or reaching the lost or sharing the good news, any of those things that you'd like to, to use or like to say. The first one is, he says, be devoted to prayer. And then he says, live wisely. Pretty simple. It breaks down in the passage. Verses 2 through 4, be devoted to prayer. Verses 5 through 6, live wisely. So first of all, Paul says, he says, look, devote yourselves to prayer. 
Just stop right there. Devote yourselves. When he says be devoted, he's talking about a steady, habitual prayer. And this is a command for, the, for your life. This is a standard practice. It's a standard practice of the Christian life is be devoted to prayer in general. Have a lifestyle of prayer. When you think about flying, I've flown quite a bit, and you remember standard practice for most airlines was to give a bag of peanuts. Then they realized so many people have peanut allergies, and now it's, it's pretzels, right? Any, no matter what airline, you get some little snack, right? It's standard practice, right? The, the standard practice for the Christian life should be prayer. Immediately should go Christian prayer. That should be what people think about you and they when they talk to you, when they, when they hear you, when, when you describe yourself, oh, I'm, I'm praying. Because it should be a continuous practice guided by the Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. It, it's individually, each one of us. And then corporately, we should be known as a people of prayer. So devote yourself. Devotion, and he, and he clarifies that, and he says, you devote yourself, you, you do it continually. It's be part of your life. But he says, you don't want to do it with discipline. He says, look, keeping alert in it. Another word for way to, to say uh, keeping alert is to be watchful, to be awake, keep your eyes open. I don't know about in Australia, but we have a phrase in the United States. We say, like, when you keep your eyes peeled, right? You're always going to be alive. It has to do with, with like, peeling potatoes. You know, you, you, you only see the white of the potatoes, like the white of your eyes. You keep your eyes peeled. Keep on the look for. Be watchful. So you're, you're to pray with, with a discipline. And he says, you're praying, keeping alert in it. You're not just keeping alert, but you're keeping alert in your prayers. You're, you're watchful so that nothing steals you away from disciplined prayer. You know, habitual prayer takes time. I've read that habits take about 30 days for us to form. So my, my prayer for you, my encouragement... My admission to you is that, or admonition is that you have to spend time every day in prayer, right? It's Paul's command. He says, be devoted to it. Now, as some simple, simple things that, that are help you and that'd be helpful for me, start small. With anything, start small. Set an alarm. You get up at eight o'clock in the morning to go to work, right? You get up and get ready. You'll be at work at nine, or maybe you get up at seven, be at work at eight. Get up 15 minutes earlier, right? Set your alarm. Start out, with, start out with 10 minutes of prayer, right? Start out and then, and then do it habitually every day. Make it, make it a pattern in your life where if you don't do it, you're like, well, something's missing. Oh, I forgot my coffee. Oh, I forgot to pray. Make it part of your life so where it's a habit. And what you'll find is as you do it continuously, even if it's a small amount of time, you'll gradually extend that time. Right? That, that prayer time, you'll realize, I have more to pray about. I need to get up a little bit earlier. Or maybe it's before you go to bed. Instead of going to bed at, at 10 o'clock, maybe I'll set my, my alarm at, at 9.45, 9.30. I'll start doing a little bit of prayer time. Make it a regular, habitual practice. And after 30 days, it will be ingrained in you that, hey, I've got this time allotted for prayer. And you'll find that you'll add more time to it. And you'll increase that time. And as a way to pray... Pray the disciples' prayer, right? People call it the Lord's Prayer, but the disciples said to the Lord, Lord, teach us to pray. And so he gave them a pattern of prayer, right? Use the disciples' prayer. Most of you have it memorized. Use that as a, as a method to pray because if you're praying the disciples' prayer to God, what are you doing? You're praising Him. You're confessing sin, right? You're asking Him to help you with temptation. You're praying for others. It's a perfect 
little method of prayer. But my encouragement to you, my challenge to you is, is do it habitually. Make it a part of your life. Before you do evangelism, you have to have a life of prayer. Because any ministry that we do, I had a conversation this week. And we were talking about your, somebody's work. Your work that you have been given by God is your ministry. It's not, I'm in the ministry, I'm preaching every day. Your ministry is where God has placed you, right? And so your ministry always begins with your walk with the Lord. And that walk with the Lord always begins with prayer. So before God's going to open doors of opportunity to you to share the gospel, you have to be in communion with Him. And that's what Paul's expectation is. He says, look, devote yourself to prayer. You're, you're keeping alert. You're being disciplined in it. You're being watchful that, that nothing takes you away from that disciplined prayer life. But he says, not only are you disciplined, but you have the attitude of thanksgiving. Now, when you're giving thanks to God, not only is that a powerful motivator for prayer. Like one of the things I do with my kids, every night we pray, and we spend a good section of that time thanking God for the blessings in our lives. Thanking for an, another day to live. James says that every day God gives us what is a blessing. So we, we, we praise God for another day of life, what, a family, we're, we're, we're not, our house isn't being burnt down by fires. We have a place to live, a bed to lay on. My, my son likes to thank the Lord for his bed. That's a praise, right? Have you ever slept on the floor, right? Just as a small thing. So we, we have this attitude of thanksgiving because this is a powerful antidote to false teaching, right? If you're content, if you're thanking God for, his, for what he's done, then somebody comes in and says, hey, you know, I have, a, I have a way to spice up your spiritual life. Well, my spiritual life's already pretty spiced up. Do I need any more spice? It's like Indian curry. You only can get it so hot. So you, you have Thanksgiving. You, you want to have that, that Thanksgiving to the Lord. You know, my grandfather, he would tell me stories of uh, as he, he fought in World War II, and, and he, was a, he was a believer, so it was interesting hearing his perspective. But he, he, he told me the day he got drafted and he, and he got to go, he was uh, going to a um, boot camp. And he said he, he, always will for, he never will forget, this is his words, I'll never forget my, my sergeant because he was training and he was drilling us. And he was, he was a drill sergeant. He was drilling in us what we needed to do. And we were all paying attention because we knew we were going to war. And this was important. And my grandfather used to say, and he said, I never forget this phrase. He used to say, make sure you have Earl in the burrow. And I'd go, well, I'm sorry, you got to translate that. And, and what it, my grandfather was, he was had, this guy had a very deep southern accent. He'd go, you need to have Earl for your barrel. And what he meant is you need to have oil for your barrel and your gun. See, I had to translate it for you guys. But, but you can imagine, here my grandfather, and he's 70 years old, and he still remembers that phrase. Make sure you have Earl for your barrel because you don't want your gun to what? Jam when you need to shoot it. The idea is you, you, you want to be ready for the battle. Right? You want to be ready. And as we're going to see in a moment, you, one of the things we're praying for, we're praying for opportunities for the gospel. Well, you want to be ready for those opportunities. You want to be oiled up. Like you'll, you'll, uh, you'll follow that analogy, just like the gun's ready to go. You want to be ready in your prayer life, in your spiritual life. You see, because evangelism begins with prayer. And Paul says, look, not only devote yourself to prayer, being disciplined, have an attitude of watchfulness, be, have an attitude of thanksgiving. But he says very specifically, he says, look, pray for me, verse 3, that 
God will open up a door for the Word so that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ. So for Paul, when we, when we think about the gospel, when we think about opportunities, I, I've been in prayer meetings over the years, and, and it's interesting with Christians, it, it, it's kind of like there's an old book, Concentric Circles of Concern, and it just talks about different people in our life, and we pray for them, and we, we want to share the gospel with them. But for Christians, they have no problem praying for missionaries, right? Oh, I pray for those missionaries, that they would have open doors for the gospel. And then the, the circle goes a little farther. Oh, I pray for the pastor and the leadership and, and pastors of other churches in the community that they had opportunities for the gospel. And then they get a little closer and oh, I, I'll pray for my, my friends and, and the, the, the family in the, in the body of Christ that, that they would have opportunities in the gospel. And we're in Bible study. Somebody says, I'm trying to share the gospel with somebody at work. Oh, I pray for them. I'll pray for you. And then it gets a little closer and you know what? It's themselves. They're like, well... I don't know if I want to, I, I might actually have to share my faith. Well, see, when it comes to opportunities, we, we pray for, just as Paul says, pray for me, but we should also pray for ourselves. Pray that God will open up opportunities for the gospel. And I love this that Paul says, pray that God will open up, because it's an understanding that God is sovereign in evangelism. And wh- when I learned this simple fact, it was a tremendous weight off my shoulders. I came from a background that, that really put a lot of emphasis on what I did for God and how if, it wasn't, if I didn't go out and share the gospel with every person I know, even strangers, then those people were going to go to hell and then I was made to feel guilty because I didn't go out and share the gospel with those people. Now, God is sovereign in evangelism. Now, as we'll see in a second, there is a tremendous amount of human involvement. But God is sovereign in evangelism because, first of all, we need to understand that man's hearts are evil. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Psalm 51, 5, David says, I was brought forth in iniquity. I was born in iniquity. And in sin my mother conceived me. And then Paul, when, he, when he's dealing with the Romans, in Romans chapter 3, He says, there is none righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is none who seek after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become useless. There is no one who does good. There is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood and destruction and misery are in their paths. And the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And Paul actually quotes about six different psalms in that passage in Romans chapter 3, verses uh, 10 through 18. You see, man's heart is wicked. Man is in a great need because man also loved the darkness. John 3.19, man, uh, Jesus says, look, this is the judgment, that the light is coming to the world and that men love the darkness rather than the light for their deeds were evil. Colossians 1.21, if you remember, it says that you were former alienated and hostile in mind, engaged in evil deeds. So man has an evil heart. Man loves the darkness, man is in spiritual blindness. And this is something that we often forget or we often overlook when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to salvation. Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3, he says, And even if our gospel is veiled, 
it is veiled to those who are perishing, in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelieving or unbelievers so that they may not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So man is in a dire strait, right? Man even, in, even becomes futile in his speculations. Romans 1.21 says that even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. They did not give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. And then what did man do? Man worshipped the what creation instead of the Creator. That is, that's the general nature of us, pre-salvation, and that is the nature of men in this world. So what's the answer? The answer is God. Because it is the Holy Spirit that works in men's heart. John 16, 8 says that He, so when the Holy Spirit, when He comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. The Holy Spirit illuminates the mind. 1 Corinthians 1, 10, Paul is talking about the work of the Holy Spirit. And he says that for, for to us... He's talking about, and he's talking about the truth and the, and the wisdom of God. For to us, God has revealed them through the Spirit. One thing when you deal, when you're trying to talk about evangelism, you must remember that what? Salvation belongs to the Lord, right? You cannot save someone. No matter how much we want it, how much we desire, how much we try, salvation is from the Lord, right? Now, and to be clear, we're instruments for God's use, I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3. He's talking about Apollos and himself. And he says in verse uh, 6 and 7, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So that neither the one who plants, the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. So when it comes to evangelism, we're to be faithful. right? We're to share what the good news of Jesus Christ is. And we trust that God is at work in people's hearts, that God is going to save them. That takes the pressure off. Well, I don't feel the pressure that I have to save somebody. I just have to be faithful. And when we think about the good news, you're you're thinking about and you're talking about what God has done in your heart. I remember talking to this one one young lady. I I knew her from high school, knew her from uh, year 12. And we we were just chatting and we we met at uni. We hadn't seen each other in a while. I didn't even know she went to the same uni. And we, just in the course of us, of us having a conversation, she was telling me all the troubles in her life. And this was quite natural to me, and I didn't think about it as, I'm evangelizing her, but I just shared with her what Jesus Christ had done and how I now had hope where I had hopelessness, where the, the, so much of my own trouble in my life was based off my own sinful choices and my love of self and my own pride. And I just... I just told her my testimony. And I didn't even think about it as, I'm going to evangelize this person. But I shared with her the good news. And it was interesting because, and I got done, she thanked me for giving it. She said, thank you for telling me your testimony. And I I wasn't even thinking like, oh, I'm going to give her my testimony. It just came out of me. You see, God is the answer. And that's what Paul makes that statement. He says, look, pray for me. Now, remember, Paul's in prison. Right? He's, he's in house prison. He, this isn't the uh, prison before he died. He, he's actually released shortly by this time. But he's, in, he's under house arrest. He can receive some visitors, but he's still, he's still stuck there. And Paul says, look, pray for me that I'd have what? 
open door for the Word so that may have opportunities to preach, opportunities to speak the Word of Christ. And he says, interesting, he calls it the mystery of Christ. When Colossians 1.25, Paul says, he says, Of this church I was made a minister, according to the stewardship from God bestowed on me for your benefit, that I may fully carry out the preaching of the Word of God, that is, the mystery which has been hidden from the past ages, from past generations, but has now been manifest to the saints. It's the mystery of, of what? Of Christ dying on a cross for your sins. The mystery that as Gentiles were part of one body. The mystery that Christ is going to return. All this has been revealed to us through God's Word. We've been entrusted with the mystery. And that's what Paul's saying. He's like, look, pray for me. Pray that God would open a door that I may speak about the truth of the Word of God to everyone I meet. He said, pray that there would be those opportunities. John 17, 7, Jesus, Jesus is praying for His disciples and He says, Lord, sanctify them in the truth. And He says, your word is truth. We have the truth. You know, over and over, one of the things I've emphasized throughout the book of Colossians, because it's important, is that truth is reality as God sees it, Right? So when you're talking to people and, and, and they're looking at their lives and their lives are in disarray, why are bad things happening to me? The real root cause of those bad things is sin. Sin separates, sin destroys. Sin always separates. Separates us from God, separates us from other people, it destroys relationships. It's sin. And when you think about sin in families, family tears families apart. Husbands and wives not, not talking to each other. It all began as what selfishness and sin and bitterness and anger, right? Pride. It's sin. You see, Paul says, pray for us that we may speak forth the mystery of Christ, that we may share the truth. You guys, you have an opportunity to speak to people that you know with the truth, right? So this is Paul's prayer. This should be your prayer. Lord, pray, Lord, excuse me, God, help to have, help me to have opportunities. Help me to have an open door for the Word that I may speak truth in people's lives. You know what courage is? I love the beginning of Joshua. Moses is telling Joshua, be strong and courageous. Right? And he says it over and over and over. You know why? Because Joshua has just seen a whole generation of stubborn Israelites die in the wilderness. And he knows how stubborn they are. You reckon Joshua had a little bit of fear? He's already seen the Israelites rebel against Moses several times. Right? God, one time God even opened up the ground and swallowed the Korites. Went straight to Sheol. Joshua's probably a little fearful. And Moses keeps saying, do not be afraid. He says, be strong and courageous. Courage is having fear and doing the right thing anyway. Right? It's not that Joshua wasn't afraid. Moses was praying that he would have courage. So when we share the gospel, when we tell everybody the good news, and when we're praying for opportunities to share the gospel, we need to be courageous. We need to be strong knowing that, you know what, we may receive flack, rejection, right? There may be pushback. But ultimately, we care enough about these people that we want to share the good 
news. So we, as, an, as Evangelism 101, the first thing that we have to be focused in on is prayer. I love John Knox. John Knox I love reading about John Knox, his desire to see Scotland come to the Lord. John Knox prayed, give me Scotland or I will die. Is that your prayer for those around you? Lord, help me to reach Adelaide or I will die. John Knox said that one man with God is always the majority. And unless you think that it's all about, that no one noticed, Mary, Queen of Scots, said, she says, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the armies of Europe. Brothers and sisters, we should be praying for open doors for the gospel. Paul also says interesting. He says something else. He said, not only pray for open doors, but pray to me in verse 4, pray for me that I may make it clear the way out to speak. He's praying for gospel clarity. This is the human element when it comes to us sharing the gospel. Right? Your friends, your family, your co-workers, even that stranger at the shops, we need clarity in our speech. We need to be able to speak the truth in a way that they'll understand it. Right? And, what, and as one thing we'll see is there, there, there are methods out there of sharing the gospel. The famous one is Roman Road, sovereign, uh, the sovereign, uh, sovereign, uh, sorry, sovereign uh, way of the master. Sorry, I keep saying sovereign. The way of the master has a good method. They focus in the law of God, how men are guilty. There's different methodologies involved that you can use to share the gospel. But ultimately, it comes down from your own personal walk with the Lord. As you're talking to your friends and co-workers and nurses and doctors and, and the mailman and whoever else, your neighbors about the Lord, it's a matter of getting to know them, get involved in their lives. You're praying for clarity. You're praying that, that you will be able to communicate the Word of God clearly, the truth of Scripture to them in their situation. And you know what? The great thing about that is, is you're not by yourselves. You have the Holy Spirit. We often forget when it comes to evangelism, we, we're, we're afraid or we have that fear but the Holy Spirit's indwelling us. He's reminding you of the things that you've studied and learned. I can't tell you how many conversations I've had with people, and I'll be talking to somebody, and all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit will just bring something to mind, and it's the perfect thing to say in that context from God's Word, right? The implication as well is that you're in God's Word, right? It's God's Word that has the power. Because Paul says, look, pray that we'd have an opportunity for the Word. It's the Word of God that has the power, right? It's, a, it's the message. Paul says, look, and my message or my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom in 1 Corinthians 2, but he said it was in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men but on the power of God. You don't have to be the, the greatest communicator, you just have to communicate clearly, right? And that's why you're praying for opportunities and you're praying for clarity of speech, right? But Paul says, look, not only is it about prayer, and we should have a foundation of prayer when it comes to evangelism, but he also says, verse 5, conduct yourself with wisdom towards outsiders, making the most of the opportunity. Now, wisdom is, is a biblical outlook on life. Right? It's taking God's Word and applying it to the specific situations that we're facing. 
right? When, when you're faced with a, a situation and a choice in life, is Lord, I want to have wisdom. I want to take the biblical principles in your word, and I want to apply them to my situation. I'll give you just a random example, right? I, when I was young, I, I, I couldn't afford to buy a car, and so I was going to have uh, my, my grandmother, I was going to have her co-sign on a loan for a car. But as I studied the Word of God, I ran across a particular proverb, and it said, don't, don't make yourself, basically, to translate even in English, is don't make yourself a co-signer, right? Don't, don't, don't become bound financially for somebody else. And I said, you know what? I can't, can't in good conscience have my grandmother co-sign. What if I default and ruin her credit, right? What if something happens? Because in other words, you take responsibility for what's yours, and that's just a small example of the wisdom of God's Word applied to our lives. How you deal with your co-workers and how you deal with your friends. You need to act wisely. Right? You need to be, be without reproach and generous. I, I think about, like, uh, we've had this situation come up here in Australia with Israel Falau and, and, and the things that, that he said. And, you know, the, the whole, it's become a free speech issue. But... Honestly, if you look at what he said, and this is, kind of gets into our next point where Paul says, let your, let your, um, let your speech would be grace and seasoned with salt. But if you look at what he said, it wasn't very wise, right? It was very, uh, it was very inflammatory. In fact, we have that phrase in the, in the South, we call it shooting from the hip. You know what shooting from the hip? You know, in all those westerns, like I've actually shot guns. I'm from America, sorry. <laughs> but I've, I've, I've owned guns, and you do not shoot. You shoot from the hip, and you'll never hit your target, right? The, those westerns where it actually has the guy pulls out, aims slowly, and fires, because handguns aren't that accurate anyway, especially old ones. The guy who takes his time is the guy who's going to hit the target. Now, shooting from the hip is you just you don't care about what you're hitting. Well, when you, when you post stuff on social media and you don't explain it or you don't give it as context, are, are you showing grace in your speech towards outsiders, to unbelievers? Are, are you being wise? Are you, you, do you even care if they, they come to know the Lord or is it is all about you? Be careful, by the way, with your social posts. You only get so many characters on Twitter. It's hard to put things in context, Right? And that's what Paul says here. He says, look, conduct yourself with wisdom. He said, making the most of the opportunity and let your speech with grace. That's graceful speech, right? It's speech that's not inflammatory. It's speech that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. It's a good quality about your speech, a speech that wants to show that person grace. What is grace? Undeserved favor, just like you've received. You show your neighbor favor that he doesn't necessarily deserve, your, your co-worker. You're speaking with, with grace. And I love the word here. It said, making the most of the opportunity. The word here literally means redeeming the time. Buying up for yourselves the, the time that you have. Making the most of the opportunity. I remember going to a shop when I was younger, and I loved this particular type of T-shirt. And, they were, and there was like this uh, discontinued pile. And it was this T-shirt that I loved. So what did I do? And I looked down there. I bought every color. Because... I loved it, and they weren't going to make them anymore, right? It was like really quick grabbing them. Nobody's looking, you know, trying to hurry up and get them the ones that I wanted because that was it. Look, the time that you have is precious. Right? You're praying for opportunities. 
Take advantage of those opportunities. Somebody comes along in your life, God's, look at that as a God-given appointment. Whether you go to the doctor, the dentist, where you, you go to your work on a daily basis, are you taking advantage of the opportunities that God gives you? Right? The, the things that, that come up in conversations, be, be ready, right? as Peter says, be ready to give a defense of the hope that's within you. Be ready to share. Now, those, and also be, be understanding, and this is where the, the grace comes in, be understanding that conversations with people about Christ often take time. You have to be willing to make that investment in people's lives. Right? Don't expect, hey, I'm just going to unload. Here's Romans, here's the old book of Romans in 30 minutes while I'm at the dentist's office and he's trying to drill in your teeth. Up oh, now, do you want to accept Jesus right now? Right? Know that God brings different people into your life at different stages along that path. I'll give you a great example. I was talking to my a friend of mine, he's a pastor, and he said he was on an airplane ride one time. And he sat down, he was talking to this guy, and he was getting to know this guy, and he was wearing a suit, and, and he was, and he was wrapping up, we were wearing a suit, he was going to have to preach really quickly after exiting the plane. And so he's talking to the guy, and he's, the guy was like, oh, I'm a businessman, I work in the stock market, and I, I trade, and he's talking about these, all these different things, and he said, well, what do you do? My friend goes, well, yeah, I'm a pastor, and that's why I'm, you know, I'm dressed like this, as soon as I, I leave, I've got about an hour, I'm going to be preaching. And he goes, and the, he said, the guy looked at him for a second, and he says, what must I do to be saved? I don't know about you, but that's a little softball pitch. You just kind of throw it up there and thank you, Lord. You know, that doesn't happen very often, right? And what happened, and if you really think about that, that guy at some time or another had heard the truth. He knew that he needed the Savior. He knew that he needed he wanted the Christian Savior. And he also knew enough that he needed he, he knew enough about salvation to ask about being saved. Brothers and sisters, we have to have wisdom. We have to be willing to take the time. We have to be willing to show grace. It's not about, we, we call these guys at seminary, I like to call uh, like second year seminary students. They're always the most dangerous, by the way. First year, second year seminary students, you know, two out of four years. They're always the most dangerous because they, they gain a lot of knowledge real fast, right? They think they know everything. And then they, and then we used to call them bazookas. Because they would just load up and fire. Don't worry about what kind of damage it causes. They just load up and fire. In fact, I had a professor, Dr. Farnell, uh, interesting professor. I, I liked him a lot. But he, he used to tell me, he said, I will never have any of you guys in my church as interns. He would look at us as seminary students. I will never have any of you guys. After you graduate, you can come talk to me. Because, and he, he related and he would qualify that and he would say, look, I've had seminary guys before. Couple year, you know, they'd be a couple years in, and they've caused so much issues, caused so much trouble for me in my church. Because he's also a pastor. He said they just say things without thinking. They just almost speak the truth, not truth in love. I'm gonna just, hey, it was the truth. I just spoke the truth. Yeah, and you just, you just destroy that guy, or you just ruin that relationship, or you just damage that that work. And he would say, I've been, I've been trying to counsel and talk to this guy and share the gospel for the last six months, and you just, you just blew that up. Now I have to kind of start all over. So we don't want to be bazookas. We want to have speech that is, that's full of grace. And I love what he says here, seasoned with salt. Salts are preservative. It's interesting, if you do a little research about this metaphor, it was a common metaphor, and it, and it meant to use wisdom in your conversation, right? because you're, you're seasoning a conversation. And I know that we, we, we often say things, and we have to be careful that we don't always just say the first thing that comes to our mind. 
My wife tells me that all the time. She kind of grabs me. Right? But we, we have to be careful. We'll be thoughtful. We want to be clear in our, our gospel presentation, but we don't want to allow our conversations to go down paths that, that hurt our testimony. It's easy to get in those conversations. Look, I've worked in the world. I've been, I've been around tradies, lots of tradies all my life. You know what? You want to hear some foul things? You're around tradies for a little while, right? We used to teach. I know we live in Australia, and, and it's more common in Australian speech than is American profanity. But we, it's one of those things where, as a believer, and Jordan, you feel free to use this, by the way. Um, not that Jordan's a cursor. <laughs> I, mean it, I mean, as a teacher, feel free to use this. Let me clarify that since we're on the uh, video. Jordan's a teacher. So my, uh, my, when I was in working with high school ministry and co- college ministry, we used to make fun of uh, the younger students who would, who would use profanity from time to time. We would say they're adjective deficient because they just needed to learn more adjectives and learn how to better communicate. And nobody was, wants to be called deficient in anything, especially these young kids because they're, you know, full of pride. So, and uh, they would take it as a challenge to learn how to communicate better. Um, so as, as believers, we, we want to have conversations with people. We want to have conversations where they go, you know, why do you not curse all the time? <laughs> or conversations like this and go, oh, hey, hey, so-and-so, you need to stop because, you know, what's her name's a Christian. He didn't really like that or she didn't really like that. Right? Seasoned with salt. Don't, don't drop down. Use wise speech in your, in your conversations. And then finally, Paul says, look, really simple. He says, I want to know how to respond to each person. I want you, you, you live wisely. You have speech that is full of grace, that's wise, seasoned with salt. So that you will know how to respond to each person. Because if you're, if you're prayed up and you're praying for opportunities and the Holy Spirit's in power and you're helping you to know what to say and you're, and you're speaking to somebody, you're doing it wisely, you're building those relationships, you're, with, you're showing them grace and love and your, your speech is seasoned with salt, then you'll know how to respond to each person. How do you know how to respond? You know how to respond to each one because you're getting to know them. Evangelism isn't about just going to that, knocking on the door. This is what I learned very early on as a Christian. It's not about knocking on the door and speaking to that stranger. And that's not, that is important, doing that at times. But it's about the people that are around you in your circle. Like your family members. Your, your workmates. Right? I go to the same I go to the same pizza shop over and over and over. I'm building a relationship with a guy named Sam that owns the shop, right? He knows I'm a pastor, right? And we're continuing to build that relationship, and I'm going to continue to build a relationship because so that I can have an opportunity to share the gospel. I'm praying for that. I'm purposeful, right? You, you share the gospel with people. And that's what Paul says, look, to each one. We often think of evangelism as groups. Well, I want to reach the, the Indian group that lives in Adelaide. I want to reach the Italian group. I want to reach the Greek group. I want to reach the, the true blue Aussies. I want to reach that small contingent of Yanks that live over here. I want to reach all these different groups. It's not about groups. It's about individuals. Paul says, look, so that you may know how to, to respond to each individual person. See, evangelism isn't about a cookie-cutter method. And you can learn those methods, and those are good, and they can be helpful for you. But when you get to know people, your friends and family, you know, try reciting the Roman road in front of them. And we're like, you know, you just kind of go step by step, and they're going to look at you like you're crazy. 
But when, you, when, when they come to you and they say, I'm having problems in my marriage, and you say, well, tell me about it. And they say that, you know, my wife and I, we just aren't talking. And you look at them and you say, well, and especially if they're not a believer, you say, well, you know what the issue is? What's the issue? The issue is that you have a sinful heart. You're selfish. You're prideful. You want your way, just like she wants her own way. That's the cause of friction, because sin separates. Sin destroys. When your coworker is talking about his kids and how, how rebellious they are, you can say, well, you know what? The heart of man is exceedingly wicked, right? It's selfish. My kids are just as rebellious. If it wasn't for the grace of God, you see, that's, that's evangelism. It's speaking to people you know with grace, so that, and it's getting to know them and taking the time so that you will know how to respond in each and every situation to each and every person. And remember what I said earlier? The great thing is the Holy Spirit gives you strength. The Holy Spirit reminds you of the things that you've learned so you're not in it alone. Not only that, God is working in that person's life. So you're praying for opportunities. You're taking advantage of those opportunities and you're using those opportunities you're, you're in wisdom. Look, we, the Coast Guard, U.S. Coast Guard has as its motto, Semper Paratus. It means always ready. Semper Paratus, always ready. Look, you should be always ready to give a defense of the hope that's in you. Always ready to share the gospel of telling people what Christ has done. That's the good news. So that you may know how to respond to each person. Now, I saw this... I saw this article the other day, and it was, it was from Florida. You can give my wife a hard time. She's from Florida. But it was, a, it was a couple in Florida named Tito and Amanda, and they were arrested a few days ago for selling golden tickets to heaven to hundreds of people, hundreds. They sold the tickets on the street for $99.99, not $100, but $99.99. They sold these tickets, and they said the tickets were made from solid gold. And then each ticket reserved the buyer a spot in heaven. Simply present the ticket at the pearly gates and you're in. Tito Watts said in his police statement, that's the police arrested him, I don't care what the police say, the tickets are solid gold. It was Jesus who gave them to me behind the KFC. He told me to sell them so that I could get some money to go to outer space. He said... Um, the police said they confiscated over $10,000 in cash. Now, you do the math. They sold hundreds of tickets. Ladies and gentlemen, brethren, we, we have something so much, so much better than a golden ticket, right? We have the good news of Jesus Christ, right? It's the gift of God, the free gift of God. Brothers and sisters, evangelism isn't, isn't a cookie-cutter method. It's about prayer and it's about wisdom in your life. That's evangelism 101. Brethren, I pray that you would take advantage of the opportunities that God's given you. And you would pray for more. To God's glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that, Lord, you have entrusted us and given us the opportunity to go out into the world and share the gospel. Lord, we are, we are to go out and make disciples. And Father, what a tremendous blessing that is, that you've left us here on this earth 
not just to enjoy the fruits of our labors and not just enjoy your creation, but you've left us here as a witness, a testimony to your grace. Father, we thank you for saving us. We pray, Lord, for, for courage to overcome fear. Lord, I pray that you would give us opportunities for the gospel. Lord, help us to take advantage of those opportunities with wisdom and speech that is full of grace and that is seasoned with salt that is wise. Father, give us the knowledge we need. Help us to have the wisdom to respond to each and every situation, each and every person individually. Help us to think of people as individuals and not as groups, knowing that each individual person needs to know you. They are destined for a life, eternal life, separated from you in hell. Father, we have the good news. It's not a golden ticket, but it's your grace. It's your salvation through Jesus Christ. Father, give us boldness and give us a heart for the lost. We pray this in Jesus' name.